super glad that everybody's here. This is our week one of what we're calling the Beyond Limits, uh, the Beyond Limits class, and we're going to be taking a scriptural journey into embracing supernatural possibility. And uh, I'm really excited about it. It's something that the Lord's kind of been doing in my heart probably over the last couple of years. And so I'll tell you a little bit about that story, but we'll be doing four weeks. We'll do an hour from 6.30 to 7.30 um, on Wednesday nights. And so kind of the idea behind this is that it would be that Christine would do her Engaging Heaven class and then she would take four weeks off and I would do this class and then she would start up her Engaging Heaven class again. And so kind of working with her and engaging the Lord about doing this and what that would look like. And so, um, yeah, there's just been a whole process that's taken place and it's been so amazing. But a little bit about me real quick and then we'll try and get to some of the meat of this thing as soon as possible. Um, so yeah, my name is Jason Villanueva and I'm here in Wichita, but I'm originally from Houston, Texas. And so I moved in 2010 to Wichita to help start a church. And so uh, I went from being a uh, alcoholic, a drug user guy and you know just finally completely sold out for the Lord he'd always been active in my life and um, just had a day where he he met me where I was and the way I tell the story is that I walked into a church that morning and he was standing at the front and he just said it's, it's time to talk and I said okay you know, I surrender. <laughs> and so uh, I had the opportunity to move to Wichita to be a church planter. So I pastored a small church here for a couple of years. And then in 2014, we started the Source Wichita. I, I married Kim Villanueva, Christine Smith's sister, and uh, married into the family. And it's a pretty amazing family at that. And so we started the Source Wichita, which is now a ministry here in Wichita, Kansas. And uh, Primarily, we have an online presence. You know, Christine does Engaging Heaven. She's got her YouTube channel. Uh, Christine is a part, or excuse me, Kim's kind of a part of that ministry. And, you know, they've done the South Africa trips and done all that stuff. So a lot of cool things happen at the source. And then we do have a small gathering here on Friday nights as well. And so um, that's just a little bit about me and some of the connection. Most of you know, if not all of you know, Christine Smith. And uh, like I said, she's my sister-in-law. And so she's the one that has... Um, you know, helped me uh, get this going and get the word out. And so I'm really, really grateful for that and excited about that. And so uh, just to let you know real quick, I'm going to keep everybody muted. And so if you have any questions or you have anything to say, you can go ahead and uh, do it in the chat. And then I believe there's a feature where you can raise your hand if any of you know how to use that. And uh, if that happens, then uh, I can call on you for your question. But kind of the way this is going to go is I'd like to start up front with uh, a teaching. And I do have uh, links to scriptures that I can drop into the chat. So I'm going to put our first one in the chat. And that should have come up. And hopefully you can click on that and then pull up the scripture that I'll be reading. And so I have a, a few of those to uh, go through tonight. And I may or may not read the entire thing. I may just reference it, but I want to give you guys the links as I go along. And so I'll do that teaching up front and then we'll spend some time uh, having some Q and a uh, at the end. And so I want to take a moment to just kind of tell a little bit about my journey into embracing the supernatural a little bit more and kind of what my hope is for this four week period. So each week is going to kind of play off of, the next week. And so uh, finally on week four, I'll end up talking about some of the courts of heaven stuff, which you all have uh, 
become accustomed to, I, I, I assume, through uh, doing Engaging Heaven with Christine. And so the purpose of this class, uh, I don't intend to give you what some might call an arsenal of scripture to be able to use to kind of refute arguments or debate or do any of that stuff. That is not my intention. My intention is to help you um, to communicate to you some of my journey and how the Lord has showed me through scripture, the, the possibility of this highly supernatural prophetic revelatory relationship with the father. And that's what it all boils down to is relationship. And so for me, um, a couple of years ago, I really started having my theology questioned uh, and not questioned, but challenged because I was seeing things happen around me. I was seeing supernatural things happen. I'm, I'm seeing Christine and my wife and they are uh, having this amazing relationship with the Lord and they're talking about heavenly things. And, and to me, I just couldn't wrap my mind around it. And it was really difficult for me because I came from this uh, very studious biblical background where, you know, I asked the same question, well, where's that in scripture? Where's that in scripture? Where's that in scripture? And I use the Bible as the thing that I, I say, okay, where is it here? And if it's here, well, then I can get on board with it. And what the Lord began to show me in regard to that is that all throughout scripture, if you look at the entirety of the narrative, you know, there's a difference between having a big long list of scriptures that you can use to just rattle off to somebody and say, here's where it is in the Bible versus kind of having a, an overarching kind of eagle eye bird's eye view of what the narrative of scripture is. And then seeing that this is how God has revealed himself to mankind over time. And when you close the book, he has already created the trajectory. So if the father is going this way with his attributes and his supernatural existence and communication with us and that kind of stuff, if he points the arrow this way and he's going, I believe he continues to go. And so that's kind of the way I, I want to look at some of this stuff is we're, we're, we're going to focus on a couple of different topics really hard, but my hope is that we can grasp that because the Lord will work a certain way. It doesn't mean he always works that way, but what he shows is that he's doing things without limit and he's doing them according to who he is, his, his nature, his attributes, his personality, his plan and his will and his heart. And so I, I just kind of want us to maybe understand that a little bit. We're going to we're going to point ourselves in a certain direction using the scriptures. And my hope is at the end of this, the end of the four weeks, we really kind of walk away and say, you know what? God can do anything. He can do anything that he wants because he's so amazing and he has his will and his plan and it's perfect and he loves us and he's sovereign and he's filled with grace. And I really just want us to come away with, you know, kind of bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, like, man, the Lord's so awesome. What else is he going to do? And so that's kind of where I want to go with it. And um, so any just real quick questions before we move on, or I can, I can dive right in. All right. So here we go. Um, this is week one and I've just titled it embracing possibility. And so 
kind of the subtitle for tonight is taking the shackles off of our mind and breaking loose from religion and traditional dogma. And so this is kind of a wordy statement. I tend to write like this, um, but I like to try and communicate what I mean by these things. And so really want to take shackles off of our mind and break loose from religion. And you know, what is, what is religion? Well, I think we got a really good idea when Jesus came and he functioned around the Pharisees. And so he saw what the Pharisees were doing and how they were trying to um, essentially be the, the religious heads of everybody. So we know Christ is the head of the church, but the Pharisees were trying to be that head and they were trying to tell people how to act and what to think. And they were putting shackles on these people and they were putting burdens on them that they couldn't carry. And then they wouldn't lift a finger to help them even do what the scripture was trying to lead the the people to do. Um, And so religion can get really nasty. Uh, Religion says it's my way or the highway. Religion says I know best and there's only a certain way that something functions. And, you know, it's been passed down to me by so-and-so and and I've been in this tradition or this denomination and we've used this um, version of scripture with these interpretations and this kind of exegesis to try and understand what the text means. And so it's really just kind of like really rigid, um, really, again, just kind of not open to possibility. Um, it's like, here's how it is, and that's the way it is. And, you know, it's, it's black and white kind of situation. Dogma, and I'll just read a definition to you. It's a principle or set of principles laid down by an authority as in controvertibly true. (laughs) Uh, It's a big word, but a principle or set of principles laid down by an authority that are absolutely true. And so um, relationship with the father was never meant to be religious or dogmatic. Um, The father, since the beginning of time, has had a plan to reveal himself to his creation. And he's had a plan to do it And I think the plan shows us that he does it however he wants. Um, And relationship with the father is, is not limited. You know, Jesus said uh, with, with man, these things are impossible, but with God, nothing is impossible or all things are possible. Uh, Let me give you some scripture. So here's the Ephesians 3, 16 through 21. And so I did put that link down in the notes or the uh, chat. And I'll just send that again, just in case you want to look at it. But this is the tree of life version. And and I I love this version. And some of these words will need a little bit of interpretation as I read. But let me read you the entirety of this section of scripture, because this truly is the foundation of what I'm trying to accomplish with uh, talking about my journey. And so I'll read this. It says, and this is Paul writing to the Ephesians, and he's writing out his heart, his prayer for for the Ephesians. And he says, I pray that from his glorious riches, he would grant you to be strengthened in your inner being with power through his Ruach, which is his spirit. So Paul's saying, I want you to be strengthened in your inner being by the power of the spirit so that Messiah or Christ Jesus, Yeshua may dwell in your hearts through faith. He says, I pray that you being rooted and grounded in love. So love is where we're rooted and grounded. It's that love relationship. Jesus talked about in Revelation, coming back to the first love. Everything that we do in Christ is rooted in that relationship. And so it says, may have strength uh, 
to grasp with all of the Kedoshim or the holy ones or all of the people of God, what is the width and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Messiah, which surpasses knowledge so that, so you may be filled up with all of the fullness of God. And so Paul is praying a prayer and he's saying, look, I want so badly for you to be filled in your inner man with the power of God so that you understand the, the, the width and the breadth and, and, and the, just the amount of love that exists in our relationship with the Father. And then he says, and so that you can have the strength uh, to know this and know this love that surpasses knowledge. And so Paul right here is already saying, look, there are limits that can be placed on this understanding of love and relationship. And it's sometimes knowledge that will be the limiting factor of knowing a love that surpasses it, right? So if we think we have the right to know this love, well, then we've already boxed that love in. Somebody said one time, if I'm ever going to understand a love that surpasses my knowledge, I have to give up my right to understand it. And that kind of blew my mind. I was like, wow. And so a lot of times what we want to do in our relationship is that we want to be able to understand on black and white terms. And we want to be able to flip through scripture and show exactly in black and white the things that are a part of our faith and our walk and our relationship with the father. And Paul right here is saying, look, it's not black and white. It surpasses knowledge. It goes beyond. And so let me continue because he continues to paint that picture. He says, so you may be filled up with all the fullness of God. So now to him who is able to do far beyond all that we ask or imagine by means of his power that works within us. Again, the Ruach, the spirit, the breath of God in us, that life that he's given us. And that's how he does it. The spirit in us is the one that works in us to do things that are beyond our imagination and beyond our capacity to even ask. And then he says to him, be the glory in the community of believers and in Messiah Yeshua throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So this is a pretty, pretty heavy verse, but for me, it's so amazing. So I'll I'll try and explain this a little bit. So Paul is saying that the father is able to do more than we can even ask. So the moment that we even conjure a phrase to ask of the Lord, we've already limited what God can do. And that's kind of, it, I don't know if it's hard to grasp for you. For me, it's just a little out there. So the moment I even ask anything, I've already placed limitation on what God can do. It doesn't mean that he won't do it or he won't answer it, but then I can think bigger. I can ask bigger. And so as I ask bigger, he can do far beyond that. And then, and then if I just say, okay, let me tap in to my wildest imagination. Let me just go as deep as I can possibly go and think so far outside of the box, further than I've ever thought in my entire life. Let me just think just as far as I can possibly go and then try and go further and then try and go further. And yet God is still able to do far beyond the farthest you can think or ask or imagine. So do you see where the limits, we're talking about beyond limits. This is the name of the class. 
we're talking about going beyond those limits. And so, I mean, I'm praying the same thing that Paul is praying that by his, his Ruach spirit, by his breath into your life, into your heart, into your mind, into your spirit, that somehow he begins to just show you that those limits can be shattered and that we can just see and exist and do and love and live in a place that is far beyond anything we could ever think or dream or ask. And that he's doing it by his spirit in us, that his spirit is the one that pushes us beyond any limits that we have ever placed or will ever place on the father. And it's by his spirit in us. And so I love this scripture. He can just go far beyond that, our asking and our imagining. And it's just so amazing. And so, Um, the problem is, and I'll copy and paste this statement. The problem is that we've only asked and imagined based on what we've been told can be asked or imagined. And do you see where religion and dogma and those kinds of things, Pharisees, people who question, uh, you know, where's that or, you know, How do you know that can happen? And so what happens is when we begin to think about those things or those limits begin to place in our life, well, then that box, that little area where we ask and think and imagine gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And next thing you know, we've got God in this little bitty box. And so we're only asking what we think is capable within the, the, the boundaries that we've created the limits that we created. And that's the issue. And so the hope is that as we journey through some of the scripture and we have some of these conversations that that little box just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And next thing you know, it just doesn't even exist. And we just exist in a place of faith. And we say, Yahweh, you, you do all that you please and all that you desire according to your will. And I, I'll place no limits on you, none whatsoever. And if there are limits, shatter them. If there are chains, break them. If there are boxes, disintegrate them for me because by your spirit, by your power in me. And so again, really, uh, really excited about that. So um, a lot of people ask, where's that in the Bible? And so that's kind of what we're going to be looking at a little bit here throughout this class. And, you know, we, we want to be able to answer that question, but we also have to understand that, um, I'm gonna gonna give you this statement as well. I think this is an important statement. Did it go? Yeah, let me see. What is going on? Oh, I think I did it like four times. (laughs) So it says, just because you don't see it in a verse or two, doesn't mean it doesn't exist in the entirety of the narrative which means someone will say, well, you know, there's that one verse that says this, and there's one, that one verse that says this, and they're like, I have two verses that go against that. And well, or you don't have any verse that just directly black and white kind of defines something. It doesn't mean that as you read the entirety of the narrative of Scripture, that you won't see that kind of hidden or embedded in the character and the nature of God. And so here's something interesting about uh, the narrative of scripture as the story plays out, God is revealing himself to man. And as he reveals himself to man, there are men who didn't know God in the same way that the next man knew him. And so as each person had the father Yahweh revealed to him, 
when he, he saw that new attribute of God, they got to name God based on that attribute. And so the attributes of God were revealed throughout the entire narrative of Christ or of the Bible. So you get all these people who are coming into contact with the father and we're going to read uh, some of those interactions here in just a little while, but you have uh, Adam and Eve and they know God in a certain way. And then you have Abraham and he knows God in a certain way. Then you have Noah. Then, I mean, you get everybody, Jacob, Isaac, Israel, you know, David, uh, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Daniel, Hosea, they all are seeing God um, in a different way across an amount of time. And then what happens in the new Testament, we get the word made flesh, Jesus, Messiah, who comes to earth. And then scripture later on tells us that we have the fullness of the deity in bodily form in Christ. And so again, we get, we have to read this entire narrative, right? To see the attributes, the personality, the heart of the father, all the way through the entire scripture. And you can go and point out one or two verses, but truly he is used thousands of years through hundreds and thousands of people through multiple languages and multiple cultures to reveal himself to us. And so I think, again, we kind of box them in if we try and find one or two things that are going to, um, you know, be the determining factor of who he is and what he does, you know? And so let me um, take a moment real quick and just talk about the creation story. I think this is really, really important. Uh, let me give you this this scripture. So the, this is Genesis 1, and let me just read this to you real quick. It says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was chaos, or without form, and waste, or void and empty. Darkness was on the surface of the deep, and the Ruach Elohim, there's that word again, that Ruach, the Spirit of God, was hovering upon the surface of the water. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And so Yahweh spoke from his mouth, his, his breath came forward, and then there was something that existed when it didn't exist before. And God saw that the light was good, so God distinguished the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So there was the evening, and there was morning, and that was one day. And so in the very beginning of the scripture, we have a very important attribute of who the father is. And I think it sets, again, we're talking about setting trajectory. It, it sets the trajectory of who Yahweh is and how he functions. Number one, he's, he's a creator and he creates things. And so there's this Latin phrase and it's called ex nihilo. And let me give you that word just so you can see um, how that's spelled. Ex nihilo, and that's a Latin phrase for out of nothing. And so Yahweh is hovering over the face of the deep, and it was without form, and it was void. And those two words, uh, without, uh, or excuse me, uh, void just means empty. And it means it wasn't filled, right? So the earth was without form. It was not full. It was empty. And then this particular uh, piece of scripture tells us that in uh, Genesis chapter one, verse two, now the earth was chaos. I don't know if you've ever heard that preached with that term, but that's what that word means. It means chaotic. It was uh, without form. 
It was chaos. It had no purpose and it was empty. So Yahweh looks at this thing that needs to be filled and needs purpose. And he begins to fill it. He speaks by his word through his, by his spirit, his essence of who he is. And out of nothing, ex nihilo, out of nothing, he says, let there be light and light comes forth. And obviously it came from him because he's a, he's a, you know, he's a being of light. We're beings of light. Scripture tells us that he breathes galaxies. And so Yahweh was just using his Ruach, his breath to breathe galaxies. And he begins to breathe and fill the earth with creation. So out of nothing, he, what did he need to begin creating? Nothing, right? Well, essentially there was emptiness and there was chaos. And by his heart, he said, I need to bring order to that and purpose, and I'm going to fill that. He does it. And so just let me give you the quick, the quick connection. Jesus said, I will build my church. He's going to create a called out entity. And he said, and uh, I'll build it. I'll build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. And then he gave his disciples purpose. He said, go in the world and make disciples. But then what did he do with his, his disciples at one point? It says that he breathed and he said, receive ye the Holy Spirit, receive ye the Ruach, be filled with the breath and the spirit of God that then does what we are made in his image. And he gives us the very breath that he used to speak creation out of nothing. And he gives us the power to be able to, to do the same, to build kingdom, to take things that are empty and void without purpose and unfilled and to begin to bring kingdom and fill people and places and things and cities and states and neighborhoods and homes and gatherings with purpose and with spirit. And so here's another thing is that uh, later on in creation story, it says that he created the the plants and the trees and the animals and that each one uh, bore fruit after its own kind. And so that the things that he created had a seed that, was, that had the potential to reproduce exactly after its own kind. And so Yahweh plants the seed of his spirit in us, and we are able to then give birth to spirit. And scripture tells us in another place that spirit gives birth to spirit. And so there's just all sorts of amazing things I wish I could really nail down on. But what I'm trying to do is just kind of, again, plant that seed and show you that, number one, uh, the Father, he needs uh, no thing to create something, right? He can start with nothing and do something. And this is just the God that he is. And he takes empty places and he fills them. And he takes things that are chaotic and he gives them purpose. And he rearranges it to fit his kingdom. And so this is what he's done with, uh, with mankind. And so I just want to talk a couple of, uh, couple of minutes about how the father, Yahweh, in the Old Testament, began to, excuse me, reveal himself to man, essentially out of nowhere. And then he began to, to give them purpose. and give them relationship with him. So let me show you uh, Genesis 12. And so Genesis 12, this is just the story of Abraham. And so uh, God to Abraham, then Adonai said to Abram, uh, 
get going out from your land and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land that I will show you. My heart's desire, since the heart of the father is to make you into a great nation, to bless you, to make your name great so that you may be a blessing. My desire is to bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And in you and all the families of the earth will be blessed. And so the father sees a person, Abram, he says, I want to give you purpose and I want to give you the ability to reproduce and, and, and grow and expand. And so this is what he does with Abram. The interesting thing to me is that we don't get any context for how Yahweh or Adonai spoke to Abram. Essentially what happens is the invisible God decides that he wants to reveal himself to this man, Abram. And so what does he do? He speaks. He speaks. It says, then Adonai said to Abram. And we know that Abram listens and he obeys in faith and he goes and does what the Lord wants him to do. And he has some hiccups along the way. He's not perfect. He's learning God and trusting and obeying and having faith and doing these things. And, and it's this process. But the thing to me that's really interesting here is that just out of nowhere, out of nothing, ex nihilo, Yahweh speaks to Abram by his word, his ruach, his breath, same thing we saw in creation. And then he speaks to this creation and creation comes into relationship with the creator and exists in purpose. And it's such a beautiful thing. And so I'm trying to lay the foundation that this is the narrative of what God is doing. And next week we'll be talking about destiny in Christ and um, how we learn more about that and what that looks like. Let me show you one more thing. Um, God to Moses. This is Exodus 3, 1 through 10. And it says, now Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. So he led the flock to the furthest end of the wilderness, coming to the mountain of God, Horeb. Then the angel of Adonai appeared to him in a flame of fire from within a bush. So he looked and saw the bush was burning with fire, yet it was not consumed. Moses thought, I will go now and see this great sight. Why is the bush not burnt? When Adonai saw <clears throat> that he turned to look, he called to him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. So he answered, Hinani, or Hinani. And that means, here I am. So we have Moses, who's in the desert. He had killed an Egyptian. He ran. He went and lived in the desert. All of a sudden, one day, he sees this bush not burning up. He goes up to it. And, and Yahweh, who desires to reveal himself to creation and give it purpose and fill it, he says, Moses, Moses, and he reveals himself to man, an invisible God revealing himself to man by his word, by his voice. And so we all know that Moses goes on to um, do the will of Yahweh and help lead the Israelites out of uh, the land of Pharaoh into the promised land, uh, on the path to the promised land. We know Moses didn't see it. But th here's an interesting phrase. It's starting to compound a little bit. Moses, hearing the voice of God, answers Hinani, or here I am. And so it's important because we see another instance in Scripture where Yahweh reveals himself to man, an invisible God revealing himself to his creation by his word. The Lord speaks to Samuel. And I love, love this story. 
So it says, now the boy Samuel was in the service of Adonai under Eli. And in those days, the word of Adonai was rare. So God wasn't really speaking. And there were no visions breaking through. So one day, Eli was laying down in his place. Now his eyes had grown dim so that he could not see, and the lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in Adonai's temple where the ark of God was. And then Adonai called Samuel. So he answered, here I am. And then he ran to Eli and said, here I am, for he called me. And let me just tell you that that statement, here I am, is the same phrase that Moses used, Hanani. And so it says, uh, again, we know this happened just a couple times, so I'll skip. Um, Yah Adonai calls out to Samuel, and he goes to Eli and says, you're calling me. What do you have to say to me? And Eli's saying, I didn't call you. Go back. So Samuel finally goes a third time, and Eli says, you know what? I think that's the Lord. And so next time that he, um, he calls for you, present yourself and say, Hanani. And so when you break that down in English, it means here I am. But in Hebrew, it says, lo, behold. And that's how they would get each other's attention. They would, they would call attention to themselves and stand at attention and say, lo, behold, and they would wait. And this is how the officers of the army and the, 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 the uh, servants or the attendants in the court of kings would come and they would present themselves to the king and say, Hanani, here I am. Listen for your servant is speaking. And so this is what we know, or excuse me, speak for your servants listening. Verse 10, then Adonai came and stood and called as the other time, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, speak for your servants listening. He said, Hanani, here I am. Behold. And so then Adonai says, behold, I'm about to do something in Israel with both at which both ears of everyone that hears will tingle. And so we know that God invites Samuel into his plan to continue to speak his word into the earth and to bring about his kingdom and to do what he has on his heart to do, right? Again, we look back at Abram and he says, my heart for you is this. It's the heart of the father going forth. And then uh, to Moses, he says, I've heard the cry of my people. I'm going to redeem them. My heart is to pull them out of the land of Egypt under the hand of Pharaoh. And so as the Lord is revealing himself to people, he's inviting them in to be a part of what he has going on. He's using his word, his in, invisible being, speaking cr to his creation, getting their attention. And those who would hear his voice would listen and say, here I am. And then he invites us into that mission. And again, you go to the New Testament, Jesus is doing the same thing. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. He's giving them mission. And then he breathes the Spirit. And he says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you'll be my witnesses. So it's just all throughout the narrative. It's so amazing. This beautiful foundation of God showing that he's the one that wants to invite us into mission and be a part of his kingdom and have relationship with us and do a work in us by his power and his spirit, by his ruach, his breath, becoming a part of who we are. And so one last verse that I thought about on the way here, Isaiah 6, we know it says in the, in the year of the King Uzziah, um, I saw the Lord seated on the throne. So Isaiah doesn't hear the word of the Lord, but he gets, gets a glimpse 
of the father in the throne room and there are angels and seraphim and there's this heavenly realm. Isaiah gets his eyes open to it and he sees what's going on and we know he repents and he's like, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. And the angel comes and interacts with them and puts coal on his lips and then they stand there and they kind of look at what's going on and uh, the foundations shake and the glory fills the temple and the train of the robe of Yahweh fills the temple and Isaiah's there in the presence of Yahweh and Yahweh asks a question and it says, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, again, the Lord speaking, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then Isaiah says, here I am, Hanani, here I am, behold, I stand here, hearing the voice of Yahweh responding and saying, yes, all that you have for me, all that you want for me, all that you desire for me, I'll be a part of your mission no matter what it takes, no matter where I go, no matter what it looks like, Hanani, I stand at attention in the court of the king and I say, yes, give me my mission. And so such amazing verses to me to look at how the Lord has done this over and over and over and over through scripture. And so do you see this beautiful narrative? And there's more. I chose four instances. There's more all throughout the Old Testament. It continues all the way through the New Testament that we have an invisible God who's a creator God, who's revealing himself to mankind by his word from his mouth, his Ruach spirit connecting with the heart of man. And then man responding, Hanani, here I am, receiving mission. And then do you think that once we receive mission, that Yahweh is not going to give us what we need to be able to make those things happen? He invites us into that relationship. And this is where a lot of the maybe engaging heaven and engaging the Lord comes into play because we can go to him and continue to receive those things that we need to fulfill this mission on earth. And we can rule and we can hear his heart, right? He said, my heart for you, Abram, my heart for the people. I've heard their cry, right? The father has a desire and we can seek that heart. We can know his mind, know his will, come into alignment with it, get everything we need from him by the power of the spirit within us, right? Breaking off limits. And then we go and we do as he wants us to go and do. And we does what he says. And so uh, just real quick, uh, Saul, uh, Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus, what happened? Boom. Jesus shows up. Saul, Saul, why have you persecuted me? Right? It's this existence, this Christ, just entity, the spirit, right? Spirit of God, just breaking in to Paul's world and completely changing the trajectory of his life. And, you know, I, I fully believe in this narrative for every person for the, for Yahweh to come in and, and really give them purpose and reveal himself to man. So let me say that it is within his character. It's within the character of God to reveal himself to man without the need for anything else or anyone else. And then he speaks and we listen. Now, based on what we looked at, is there one way that Yahweh speaks to people? Right? Are there limits on the way that Yahweh speaks to people? Were there certain situations where it was just right and the lighting was right and the AC was on 71 and there was a low hum and I had whole tones on with a 
candle and not that those things are bad, but did we have to create an environment in order for the Lord to fill that place? He saw where he wanted to fill and he went and he filled it. And this is what he does. And he can reveal himself to anybody, anywhere, at any time, regardless of what's there or who's there, of what they've done, whether or not a Bible is present or a theologian or a seminary or a disciple or whoever. This is how Yahweh functions. He can show himself to anybody at any time, however he wants, and invite them into his mission. Let's break off the limits of how he's, how he's speaking and how he's talking and who he's calling, right? Because the Pharisees, religion said that you had to be a Jew and you had to go to temple and you had to fast and observe the Sabbath and do this, that, and the other and all of the 613 laws and you had to do them perfectly. And then maybe you can be seen as somebody who knows the Lord. So um, I don't have enough time to talk about miracles. Um, I want to talk about miracles and maybe we'll have time in another class, but I have a list of uh, miracles in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And it's kind of the same thing. Look at the entire narrative of the way that Yahweh is functioning in miraculous ways. And are there, is there a perfect environment for him to do that? Or does he just do what he wants when he wants because he's Yahweh and he's amazing and he has a plan? That's the question. And so if anybody says, well, you know, God didn't speak to you because he didn't speak to you like that. Uh, yes, he did. And Hanani, right? Here I am. And so not to get an attitude, but seriously, man, I don't want people to limit God at all. It drives me crazy. He's so amazing and he's so wonderful and he's so big. And we do ourselves a disservice when we put him in a little box. It's so ridiculous. Right? And that's why Paul says, not to him who's able to do far more than we can ever ask or think or imagine. And he does it by the Spirit in us, man. He can, he has no limits, this, this Father. And so, what is God capable of? He's capable of whatever his heart desires. And he's good and he's loving and he's kind. And he wants to invite us into uh, mission with him. And he's going to continue to speak and give us whatever we need and interact with us in supernatural, miraculous ways that are without limits. And he will surprise us 